You're listening to Leah and Alana watch The X-Files. Leah's seen it. Alana hasn't. I'm Leah. I'm Alana. Well, it's the third episode of season two, and the X-Files are still not back, technically. They're not back. Uh, And I... I, you kind of lied to me last week, or you didn't lie. Maybe you were kidding, and I just didn't know you were kidding. But you told me they were just back, and they're not back. Well, I thought that maybe they were, because I forgot, and I made a claim that was untrue. Um, they will come back, but it is it is not yet. Um they did. They made it seem like they would in the last episode, and I don't know why I believed them. Um, but they're just once again like on a case that's not an X file, but is an X file still, kind of. Yes, and I, I guess I was a little unclear at the the beginning of this episode whether the X files were back or not. I figured they weren't because only Mulder goes to the location at first. Mm-hmm. But he's just sent out on a case like normal. Um, Scully's helping him kind of like normal. It doesn't seem like there's really anything preventing them from working together, even though Mulder thinks that that the FBI won't let them work together. Yeah, they kind of like drop that in this episode. They're like, you know, the problems at the FBI don't really exist and we're just here in this world. Um, there, yeah, there's a moment when Mulder gets to this town and they thank the FBI's, uh, FBI for, like, sending them out and say that, uh, you know, something about the behavioral science unit. And I was like, okay, so we're not the X-Files. Mulder is here as representative of the FBI's behavioral science unit. Right. I noted the same thing because I was like, is that even the department that he's in now? Did he move departments from when he was listening to surveillance tapes? Yeah, I think that he might have because that's what Scully was kind of wanting him to do in the last episode. She was like, you know, come back to, I don't fucking remember, and like work in the behavioral science unit and then we can be kind of in the same department but not necessarily working together um and so maybe that's what he was able to do after you know his success on the last case they were like no x-files yet but you can do this and we won't keep you from your partner slash girlfriend scully nice congrats Mulder, for listening to scully and doing the right thing yeah seriously Something he should be doing more, but it's fine. <laughs> um, this episode takes place in Pennsylvania. I didn't write the city name down, but somewhere in Pennsylvania. And it starts uh, in a postal center. And basically, like, this guy, this poor guy gets a paper cut and his boss decides at that moment that that's the time to fire him. I mean, I think we all know and understand that a paper cut is some of the worst pain you can be in truly. It is 
unexplainably painful. It's terrible. And yeah, his boss is like, hey, can I just really quick, like, do you mind if I just talk to you and and fire you? And I'm going to be apologetic about it, but I'm not actually going to do anything to help you. So sorry about your paper cut. I feel so bad about it. Would love to get you a bandage or whatever, but you do have to take all your stuff and leave because you are fired now. Yeah, immediately. But, um, yeah, you can kind of see in that moment. I mean, this guy, this character, like, has a fear of blood, right? Like, that kind of becomes apparent as we go on. Um, But he, I mean... I felt like I could tell just from that instance, like, he was, like, very thrown by that paper cut, which, like, it hurts, but he was, like, looking at it like, oh, no. (laughs) Not this. Not now. (laughs) Not here. I mean, he was just very efficient, and I thought it was just messing up his efficiency. Well, that, too. He, He definitely was efficient, but, um... Yeah, he then, you know, the little typey machiney computery thingy. That's actually the formal uh, term for it, so don't look it up. That he punches everything into, starts to tell him to to kill people. It says kill them, kill them all. Um, a very alarming thing to see, I would imagine. Yeah, kill them. Kill them all. Very uh, colloquial. Kill them. Kill them all. Kill them all. It's very, like, you know, it's kind of casual. Really is, yeah. And I, so this sets it up to be about mass killings, I'm assuming mostly mass shootings, and specifically starting at a postal office, I, I was wondering if this is around the time that the string of postal office uh, mass murders started happening and people coined the term going postal um, because of how many kind of mass murders there were at postal offices. And I looked it up and um, I think it was so... There was a really big uh, mass shooting at a postal office in 1986. Um, it's like one of like the, the most deadliest mass shootings on record in the U.S. And then there was another one in 1989. And then there were two in 1991 and two in 1993. So it feels like that's kind of the culture that is uh, setting the stage for this episode. Mm. I would first like to say um, that I've never heard of any of that. (laughs) And that is a fact. You know about guns, right? Like sometimes there are guns. Can you you just like, can you give me a description? I just, it's hard for me to place it. Sure. Yeah. They kind of look like your hand. If you stick out your index finger and your thumb. Oh, that. Okay. Yeah. 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 No, I just, I, (laughs) Ever, I've heard of guns. I've heard of shootings. I haven't specifically heard of the uh, post office mass shootings of the 80s and 90s, I guess. It was just, I missed it. Um, 
and no one ever thought to tell me. And <laughs> so this is, you know, this is news to me. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you're, you're learning something. We all learn something new every day. But yes, I think that the kind of conditions at postal offices are generally pretty bad um, mm -hmm. and led to, I mean, I don't know that there's an exact, uh, I don't know if anybody knows for sure why this happens so often at postal offices, but I think it's probably, you know, a lot of people underpaid and overworked and then laid off or disgruntled for whatever reason and kind of driven to do something like that, to go postal, as they yes. say. Well, sometimes you get a paper cut and your boss fires you in the same moment. And if that doesn't make you want to kill. I... Absolutely. I don't if know. I was ever faced with that kind of just sheer disrespect of being fired right as soon as I got a paper cut, I, who knows what I would do? I would not want to be in the room. I will say that. Um, but I, I do wonder, I guess it, it doesn't feel like this happened too much in season one, but I am curious how often the X-Files bases an episode on things that are like currently happening in the news. Um, yeah, I think they do, uh, sometimes I think a good amount of episodes and plot lines are kind of pulled from uh, real life, but then also obviously twisted and uh, often made into something else. But as we know, they often pull from like folklore type of things um, for their Monster of the Week episodes. And even in this one, not only the postal stuff, but they start talking about, uh, this is, you know, a bit later on, but the sprayings and the flies and the chemicals and their effects on people, and they kind of tie in a couple things, which all of that is relative. I mean, I don't know that it causes people to go mad and kill other people, but it definitely can have negative effects, um, you know, chemicals spraying. Because this is supposed to be like a farm town, even though we kind of don't see that version of it. <laughs> they no. definitely make it, they're like, yeah, this is like a, a, it's a little farm town. And I'm like, I don't, that's a big community college that you guys wind up at, but okay. Yeah, I don't think I saw a single shot of farmland in this episode. And yet there was a whole lot about, you know, spraying uh, crops and the effects on the flies and all of these uh, experiments, kind of. Yeah, they really, uh, they really took a turn with that. That's not what I expected to see coming. No, it was an interesting... It was almost like a logical explanation for everything that was happening. Even though people still didn't believe Mulder when he started to tie everything together, it was, like, kind of based in science. And, like, I guess it's hard to prove that paranoia and, like, hallucinations are happening to people, but everyone knows that they do and they can be caused by certain chemical reactions. So it's kind of, like... I don't know. Maybe this isn't an X-File. 
You know, this kind of reminded me of the conspiracy theory about chemtrails, um, which is different than kind of the kind of pesticides that they're intentionally spraying in this episode. But it does remind me of the idea that people think that, you know, the lines in the sky from planes are chemtrails and proof that the government is dropping chemicals on us as a social experiment, which I don't know, maybe they are. Yeah, I think that they very well might be. Um, I guess I don't know that I agree specifically with that, that version of the theory, but that doesn't mean I don't think that the government could easily be releasing chemicals on us as experiments. I'm, you know, no, I think I'm, I'm noting you down as a 100% chemtrail believer. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's fine. You know, I'm not even that worried about it. Like, that sounds like I'm okay if people believe that about me. This is not related to the episode, but you know who did believe in chemtrails? Robert Pattinson. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe he does. I don't know that for sure. I can't confirm or deny, but I was going to say Prince. Prince was a believer in chemtrails. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like he could have believed a lot of conspiracy theories. He probably did. And you know what? Am I smarter than Prince? I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, frankly, I feel better knowing that as a 100% trail believer, I'm in the company of Prince. (laughs) And, you know, we're on the right side of of this argument. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So... In this episode, it's not just about this postal service worker. Um, This is happening all over town. Uh, Lots of people are seeing messages in machines telling them to kill usually everyone around them. Um, Right after, kill kill them all. That's what it says, and that's what it means. It really does. Yeah, the sheriff at one point says that, you know, yeah, there have been, like, numerous other people that have killed, like, 20-some residents of this town in the last six months, which is a decent amount of murder uh, for anywhere, I would think, but I guess especially in a, like, rural area. Yeah, it definitely seems insane that all of a sudden, you know, you're a rural area that probably doesn't have a ton of murders and then there's like all of a sudden 20 murders yeah and and it's not and it's not just like one person committing them where it's like okay maybe there's a serial killer situation they're like no it's like mm, a lot of different people are murdering and we don't know why so (laughs) and that's why they call him that's why they call him Mulder and they ask him to do a profile of essentially dead suspects the suspects who have already died yeah which seems like a near impossible task um i would be very daunted by such an assignment the first uh the first crime scene that he investigates is um, a murder that happened in an elevator so like the elevator is i think maybe stalled 
and uh, this guy sees a message that says, can't breathe, kill them all, kill them all. And he does. And when Mulder investigates the scene, he looks in the elevator, and the first thing he does is kind of look at like where there might be a message on the elevator. And I could tell he was just immediately suspicious of the elevator. Mm. But I guess he, in the past, has had a run-in with an elevator that kind of yeah. tried to kill him. He's like, I've seen a murderous elevator before, okay? I'm, I'm not going to look past this. This is weird. <laughs> you might be thinking it's that man, but it could be the elevator, you guys. So, like, let's not rule it out. Yeah, he starts to notice, I guess, when looking at the other crime scenes and with that evidence of the elevator that there is often a electronic device that has been, you know, broken, shattered, crushed, thrown, destroyed in some way at each crime scene, which is like one of the only things that links them because otherwise they seem relatively random and not committed by the same person no other uh like connecting traits yeah and under well under one of the suspects fingernails he finds like some green residue and i think that when scully does an autopsy Mm -hmm. on somebody later she also finds that Yes, she finds that and then finds, like, some increased chemical. She finds a couple things. She finds some evidence that, you know, this victim had increased adrenaline, which uh, often occurs in violent killings, and to people with phobias, I guess, because, you know, it's based in fear, um, which causes adrenaline because, you know, that's how brains work and then find some other residue or build up behind an eye is something I remember her saying and I think that's also tied into the chemicals that they bring up later with the pesticide spraying and the bugs and the blah 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 blah, blah. <laughs> we've all seen it oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's pretty gross I don't want to think about stuff being behind my eye yeah, there's actually nothing behind your eye. It's just no. hollow. Yeah, it's empty. There's nothing. Nothing at all. <laughs> I there's um in this first crime scene that Mulder is investigating, there's this moment whenever I think a cop is talking about the uh suspect and saying he like played left field or something in, in baseball and is kind of like putting it down and Mulder gets kind of offended and while the cop is trying to tell him details about the case is just like talking about how left field is fine to play and he played left field and what's wrong with left field and I was thinking about this because it it happens later in the episode too where David Duchovny has like lines that are funny and he I'm not saying that what he's doing isn't funny but he just does such dry readings of them like there's no humor in his voice when he's saying this and i know he knows it's supposed to be funny but he just is so dry yeah he's delivering the lines very flatly and i 
want to assume it's on purpose, but you're almost like, is he just having a bad day? Like, <laughs> yeah, he's not performing. <laughs> <laughs> but there's also a scene later where he goes, somebody tries to shake his hand and he's wearing a glove and he mm-hmm. says, pardon my rubber, which is a joke. And I also know, having now watched the season one gag reel of the X-Files, that I was correct that David Duchovny does ad-lib stuff and try to throw stuff in. And I believe this to be a joke he probably like thought would be funny because we all know he loves the sexualized joke. But even when he says that, it's just like, so, it's so dry. <laughs> Yeah, even his own possible ad libs are just like not. He's just throwing them, throwing them away. That's what he's doing. It's the classic throwaway, which sometimes adds to the humor, but sometimes makes you miss it. Exactly. <laughs> There's a fine line there. <laughs> he has a similar I joke later, I guess, kind of where. You know, the lone gunmen are in this episode. It's their second appearance. He goes to see them, and they're like, oh, well, didn't you read our, like, latest August issue of, you know, their lone gunman magazine? And he was like, oh, well, it arrived the same day as Celebrity Skin. And I'd like to also think that he probably threw that in there. But it is – I think there's a there's a previous uh, sort of mention of this. but. Mulder definitely has, like, multiple moments of mentioning pornography, and this is one of them, and I think that it really adds to my image of Mulder as just a very lonely, sad man that sleeps on his couch and doesn't sleep with anyone, and is just like, this is just who I am, you know, I've got my seeds and I've got celebrity skin, so I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, I have thought about what David Duchovny is doing with this character, because in the first few episodes of season one, and we definitely went very in-depth in this, him as Mulder, I feel like, is kind of, he's more flirty, he's more physical, he's not as dry, Um, He kind of seems like somebody who would be going out on a lot of dates or like interested in a lot of women in a way that like David Duchovny pulls back later and becomes kind of, he he still makes like sexual jokes, but he's not as, I think, I don't really want to say charming, but I think there's just like a different way that he carries himself than he did in the first few episodes where he's like more reserved and it's more clear that Mulder isn't really like some, you know, Casanova who's like doing well with all the ladies. And I do think that maybe at the start of the show, David Duchovny wasn't quite sure who this character was yet and maybe like figured that out as he went along. Yeah, I could see that. I could see him thinking that Mulder's probably, like, you know, out there doing well with the ladies. He's got a good job. He's a little spooky, but he's handsome, and people probably think it's charming if they just want to sleep with him. Like, you know, they don't need to know that much. But slowly realize that, like, that's not who this dude is. Like, 
I think if Mulder was having more sex, he'd be less obsessed with this work that he's trying to do. And he just doesn't have time for that type of distraction. Right. And we have also learned that he gets very attached to the women that he's with, at least with Phoebe. Mm -hmm. You know, fan favorite Phoebe. We know that he loved her very much and at least was extremely hung up on her for a long time. Yeah. He falls hard. That is, Clearly. That is apparent. Speaking of porn, <laughs> um, I was doing a little Google search about this episode and discovered that the a woman who is in the scene in the garage and she kills the garage mechanic um, is in fact a pornographic actress. Whoa. And I thought, okay. Pretty cool. You're going to have to, that is, but you're going to have to tell me more. Did she get her start in porn and then do the X files or was she in the X files and then transitioned to doing porn? Well, I think she was doing porn the whole time and this was just like, a, a stint. I don't think I think she mm. was like, you know, mostly just a porn actress. I can pull up some more info though. Well, I I do have to say that I think that David Duchovny was probably very excited by this. Oh yeah. I I wonder I wonder if he knew her already. I was thinking the same thing. Like, did he get her cast on this show because they were, like, friends beforehand? I think it's highly possible. Well, I this is what I can tell you. I can tell you that her name is Ashlyn Gear. Okay. I can tell you that in the 1980s, she appeared in several B-movies, uh, which means low-budget, not-very-good movies. <laughs> oh, that's what that means? I thought you meant um, the Jerry Seinfeld movie, <laughs> B-movie. Yeah, they made a couple of them in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> um, she did a few uh, television episodes. She used a completely different name, Kimberly Patton, and was in a show for a year called Space Above and Beyond. So I think she was into sci-fi. Um, she had minor roles in a few other films and TV shows in the 90s. And as an adult actress, appeared in nearly 200 films and videos, along with directing two videos. So, wow. Good for her. I think even, she, she found her stride and she stuck to it. And she experimented with... On screen and off screen. Yeah, she even got those director credits. So that's great. So really an inspiration. And I'm sure David Duchovny was a fan at the very least. Oh, he definitely was. If he didn't know who she was beforehand, I would say he definitely looked her up by the time she was on set. Oh, yeah. That's, they were like, you need to get out of your trailer. And he was like, not yet. <laughs> She is great, though. She does yeah, a good job. Fantastic job. Uh, I found the scene in the garage 
pretty scary, frankly. I felt uncomfortable for her. And then, you know, you know, she commits a murder maybe, but was she right to do so? I don't know. It's hard to say. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't upset that she killed that guy. I don't know that he was going to hurt her as the computer told her he was going to, but you know, you got to do what you got to do to feel safe. Yeah. And I mean, you could tell like the second she walked in, she was like, I want to leave right now. Mm-hmm. You know, before yeah. the computer even. But I guess, you know, she was, she had a paranoia um, about being raped or attacked. And so, you know, the computer like picked up on it and told her that that would happen to her so that she would commit murder because that's what the computers want. All the computers want is for us to kill each other. It's true. We've already we've always said that here at Leanna yeah, Lana Watch. We Files. stand by it. They want to take over. It's the only way. They do. Um, but I've said it before. I'll say it again. I'm fine with that. Yeah, I still don't think I am, but but that's okay. In this, we differ. You'll come around. When they take over, you'll you'll come around. Yeah, I'll have no choice. You'll kill me if I don't. <laughs> Gotta do what they tell me to do. Yeah. Lana is loyal to the computers. She will listen, and she will ask no questions. Nope. Not a single question. But this... So this woman kills the mechanic, and she's our first... Uh, murderer to not immediately also die. She just walks away. She maybe takes her car, drives home. I don't even know if she takes her car. She just kind of leaves and goes home for Mulder to come investigate the next day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, then Mulder almost dies. He does, but before he almost dies, I do have to say, she, uh, when he comes in, she's like, can I have my breakfast while we're talking? And he's like, sure, whatever. And then she proceeds to pull out a full bag of bagels from the freezer and then put the full bag of bagels in the microwave. <laughs> and I would just like, if you could, uh, to explain that to me. Why does she do that? Well, yes, I, I do have a very logical explanation for this. You see, some people eat a whole bag of bagels every morning, Alana. And, you know, I think it's scientifically proven that you're more likely to do this if you've committed a murder within the last 24 hours. Uh, you know, you're ravished, you're hungry, you know, you've seen the life drain out of a man's eyes and you're like, I could eat a whole bag of bagels right now. You know, I, I need some carbs. They provide me comfort. Uh, another possible explanation is she was so shaken by her murder committing and the fact that the police were now here that she was like, this is how you make breakfast. I will cook the food. I will put it in the microwave. I'll make them all. <laughs> maybe, maybe she was going to offer them some bagels and didn't think I should take them out of the bag. <laughs> This is all making sense. I, I understand it perfectly now, what she mm. does. Uh, it tracks. It, it, it makes sense, and I understand it. You know, when you commit your first murder, as mm -hmm. directed by the computers, I'm willing to bet that you will microwave a full bag of bagels. 
It's not unlikely. That's all I'm saying. It just makes sense. I could go for a bag of bagels right now, in fact. I didn't I have want a bag of bagels. Who doesn't? I haven't committed a murder, but, you know, it just sounds quite enticing. Hmm. Seems suspicious. I gotta go. I will uh, call you back. <laughs> um, but, you know, the microwave, as microwaves do, tell her that uh, Mulder knows and that she needs to kill him. She attacks him. She stabs him in the arm. Very upsetting for Mulder. Um, and then the cop that is there with Mulder shoots her, even while Mulder tells him not to. Yeah. Uh, shoots her. She's on top of Mulder. I mean, I, yeah, I guess I don't know. It feels like he probably could have stopped her without shooting her, but he just, like, didn't want to get hands-on involved. Mm-hmm. But it seemed like he probably could have gotten the knife out of her hands, just personally speaking. Probably, yeah. And we also know that the earlier suspect was... I believe murdered by cops. I believe they talk about in the in that scene um, that he died, or they thought it was like suicide via cop or something. He like rushed the cops and the cops shot him. So the cops are killing all the people who have all the answers here. They are. They're like, hey, we need you to help us figure out um, what's going on because we keep killing all the people that are doing it. <laughs> But you can do a profile of them after they're dead, right? Like, you don't need to ask them questions. No problem. I bet you can figure it out. You're with the FBI. I don't want my microwave to tell me things, though. No, but I was thinking that the microwave kind of seems like one of the most likely ones to do it. Just seems like, you know, when you're microwaving something, you're probably hungry, probably more inclined to... I don't know if hallucinates the right word or just imagine that something's happening that maybe isn't. The microwave knows you're weak. Look, when like, I'm when I'm waiting for my bag of bagels to heat up, <laughs> I I do go a little crazy. Yeah, that I mean that's all I'm saying is you are excited to eat, I don't know, five, six, seven bagels. Your brain is preoccupied and suddenly it just says kill them all and you're like, I'll do it as long as I can have that bag of bagels when I'm done. Yeah, guess I gotta do it. Gotta get those microwaved soggy bagels. (laughs) Maybe, maybe she meant to just defrost them and then would put them in the toaster. Or maybe she doesn't believe in toasters, but it seems like she should because toasters don't have screens that can have messages pop up on them most of the time. Mm, yeah, if she would have used a toaster, toaster, none of this would have happened. But you see, the yeah. thing is, is you can only fit so many bagels in a toaster, whereas in a microwave, you can fit the whole bag. We did briefly skip over, not that we need to go in order, but we did skip over the fact that Mulder's on this case in Pennsylvania And he is emailing the details of the case. Before she does the autopsy, he emails the details of the case to Scully. And I thought that was very romantic. It's like they're pen pals. He's like, just want to keep you up to date on what I did today. (laughs) Basically. He's just like (laughs) sending her his diary of, of what he's figuring out. And also when she's reading it, 
I don't know if her glasses are new in this episode or not, but I do love her glasses. And they seem to be, the frames seem to be tinted blue, which I thought just looked great. Mm, yeah, she's a fashionable lady, you know, and it, it just keeps improving. Just keeps getting better with that one. It really does. This episode made me think, though, because Scully's, I would say, barely in it, really. Or it takes a long time for her to be in it. And and even when she is, I I just feel like there's less Scully in this season than Mm -hmm. maybe in last season. Or it just feels like more often we are starting an episode with Mulder and Mulder alone and following Mulder for a while. And then maybe halfway through Scully shows up or at some point Scully is there, but it does kind of feel at this point in the show to me that Mulder is the main character, Mm. um, which is surprising. Yeah, this, I, I will try not to speak on, future episodes but I think you're noticing a correct theme and I do in fact think that Jillian Anderson was pregnant um, during this season and I think part of what they were doing was probably preparing for her to be in it less and less as she got more and more pregnant and I would assume had to maybe not sit out entire episodes, but, like, she wasn't going to come to full days of work if she just gave birth. Uh, so I think from the beginning, it was probably written in to, like, have a little less of Scully as this happened because what are they going to do? Like, make her come or write her off completely? Like, <laughs> they're like, yeah. just, can you just do a little bit? And I think it worked out with the way the – but, you know, the X-Files are not in existence as of right now, so they're technically doing different things, and they're still going to be working with each other, even though they're not partners, And but it's easier to have her not there if they're not, you know, partners working on the X-Files at this moment. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because my other explanation for this was, I know you maybe briefly mentioned there was like a David Duchovny, Jillian Anderson pay disparity issue. And I wondered if there being more Mulder was something that had like been worked out in contracts that like Mm. because of like the pay or if David Duchovny wanted to be paid more or wanted more screen time or if there was any kind of like I guess back end drama like that but it just being that she's pregnant makes a lot more sense I think it is just that she's pregnant I mean there is a pay disparity like for sure going on um but I think I don't think there was anything else involved in that in terms of him wanting more screen time. I mean, maybe there was, and I'm just unaware. But I think typically what happens with big pay disparities is that they expect usually men and women to do the same amount of work and have the same amount of screen time, but she'd get paid less than him. 
And if I remember correctly, I think she was making like half of what he was making, which is despicable. Um, And I do know that when they were bringing the show back the first time around, or I guess they really only did it once, but the first season when they were, um, which was season 10, in discussion about bringing it back, they offered her, I think, again, like half or close to half. And she was like, no. Like, (laughs) because she, I mean, she's, I think she's talked about it where like, you know, in the 90s and especially she was quite young, like, and it was, I think more, I mean, I think it's always common for women to make less than men, but it was definitely more common for women to not challenge it. Um, And I think she was just like, I'm not going to fucking do that again. Like, you know, it was like, what, 2016? And she was like, the show is wildly successful. You need both of us for it. Like, you're going to have to pay me while you're paying him. And I think she wound up getting it. And that's why they went ahead with it. But I was like, yeah, like, what the fuck? Half? She's working harder than him. This bitch is running in heels. She's wearing her little skirt suit. She's wearing giant blazers with the huge shoulder pads. How could they pay her less? I mean, just disgusting. So are you saying that she was paid half of what he made for the entire first nine seasons and it wasn't until the 10th season, like years later, that that changed? I think so. I don't know. crazy. But she was definitely making significantly less, I think, the whole time. Maybe not half the whole time, but still less. I mean, if you look up, their net worths hers is about half of his and this is both of their primary works and she's arguably done more successful projects since this show than he has and so one can only assume that this is where the gap began well you know i've googled david's company's net worth he is worth 60 million dollars he has a lot of money that's just I think it's too much. It feels like too much. And I think he's great, and I love the X-Files, but I'm, you know, he was probably getting overpaid. I'm happy for him. You know, he's able to just write books and play music now that I don't know if either of those things make money, and it doesn't matter because he doesn't need it. Yeah, yeah, that's, I think, why he does it. You know, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to start a band. I'm 60, and I have $60 million, and that's fine. I can do whatever I want. I don't care if nobody listens or buys it or even wants me to make this album. Someone will do it, and I will get to live my dream. <laughs> I just rechecked, and I was $20 million off. He is actually worth $80 million, and Jillian Anderson is worth $35 million. Ooh. Oh. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. I think even, not that like awards really maybe mean anything. Obviously, they don't impact income. But I'm pretty sure that she won more acting awards than he did for this show. And it's like, she's just, I'm sorry, but more talented, I think, (laughs) all around. And but you know he's a white man, and this is America, so it's a white man's world. Yeah, but don't worry, she got hers in season ten. So I would have been like, pay me fucking Thank double. God. 
You need to pay me quadruple what he's making to make up for the bullshit you put me through for nine fucking years. So thank you. I'd like to increase my net worth while his goes down. (sighs) She should have done that. And he was clearly, you know, like not one of those like really supportive ally type of men who would be like, I don't want to get paid if she's not making what I'm making. Like, he was like, yeah, I'll take my, I'll take my incredibly large paychecks and I will go. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Like, they could have, like, unionized the way that the Friends cast did, um, where, you know, they all demanded, like, I don't know if it was the exact same pay, but basically none of them would renew their contracts if they didn't get the asking price um, that they wanted. And it's it's sad that he didn't do that, but, you know, in my head, I'm thinking of a lot of excuses for why he didn't do it, but I'm just not going to say them because he doesn't need me to excuse him. He just, I mean, yeah. Don't give him any excuses. He does write those, he does the ad libs, okay? That's worth $80 million is these sexual innuendo ad libs. $80 million for him to, like, you know how hard they work to write those scripts? (sighs) They're like, David, fucking stop it. (laughs) Just stick to it. Where even are we? In this I don't know. Episode? I'm like, the rest of the episode doesn't matter. We are worked up. We want to get Jillian Anderson back pay for her nine years of hard work. We do. Who do I need to call at the Fox Network? <laughs> well, I guess to bring us back a little bit, Scully does an autopsy of... I don't remember if it's the male suspect or if it's the woman that tried to stab Mulder that she does an autopsy of. But either way, I think that she does the autopsy in DC, which made me be like, did they ship that body to her? Yeah, I think they did. I think they do it often. And yeah, it's, I don't know how they decide when it's worth shipping versus having her come there. But I do think that they did ship it to her. Hmm. Upsetting. I wonder, I wonder if the post, the USPS ships that body. Probably. Yeah. I think they just wrap it up and they take it to the post office and they (laughs) they mail Mm -hmm. it like that. Definitely is how it's done. Yeah. Um, we briefly mentioned how the lone gunmen are in this episode But there's a specific exchange that I'd personally like to discuss and really unpack with you. And I'm sure you know exactly what it is that I'm talking about. Um, But after that celebrity skin comment, they're kind of talking about this case and the bugs and, you know, whatever, blah, whatever. And Frohickey says to Mulder, where's your little partner? Which, first of all, I do not like. And Mulder jokes because I think he's probably uncomfortable, but he's like, oh, she didn't come. She's afraid of her love for you. And then he says, she's tasty. Mm -hmm. 
To which Mulder responds, you know, Frohickey, it's men like you that give perversion a bad name. Mm. And I, ha- I just, I don't even know, I don't, I didn't like it. I didn't like most of the words that were spoken there. I don't like Scully being talked about, frankly, if Scully's not in the room. Um, and I don't like that Mulder didn't really defend her in a way that I think he should have. Uh, and I think that that's disappointing. Well, yeah, I can see that. And I won't argue that. I do think he's uncomfortable with what oh, Frohickey yeah. is saying. And clearly he didn't bring Scully there on purpose, probably because he didn't want to subject her to that. Um, but I I was very unnerved by Frohickey saying she's tasty. I just don't think that anybody should say that about anybody i would fully agree that you know should be saved for the fanfics only yes exactly only for the fanfics and uh that does make me uh question the fan fiction that you read recently about the lone gunman was that fro hickey that was in that no it was the two other guys oh langley okay. who's the blonde guy and john byers is the guy that's like always in a suit and just looks like a relatively normal man compared to the other ones. Um, yeah, I was, I, I would be scared to see what Frohickey fan fiction looks like, but this exchange also had me thinking like, cause the lone gunmen are in the show a decent amount, you know? And I was like, is Frohickey always this creepy or do they like tone it down as it goes on? And did I just not pick up on it? Like what's going on? But I do think that he becomes significantly less creepy, especially in regards to Scully, because like clearly they continuously kind of work together. And I think he eventually just gives it up. But I'm curious to see how the shift happens. Cause I feel like I would remember in later seasons, if Rohickey's like constantly making comments about Scully, but I feel like very thrown rewatching this compared to later seasons. Well, you said the exact same thing the first episode that they were in in the first season. You were like, yeah. "Oh, they're being gross towards Scully." I don't remember this at all. Exactly. I'm like, w- w- did I miss it? I mean, clearly, I just haven't seen these ones in a while, but. The later ones, I think that they've they've solidified their characters a little more, and they're not just, like, these weird, creepy men that live and work in this cave and come up with conspiracy theories and help Mulder. Like, they have a little bit more of a rounded character. Well, that's good, but I don't really like Frohickey. Um, I am going to look for fan fiction involving him, for sure, to read on our show, but I, I don't feel very endeared towards him. I'm concerned that people have written Frohickey Scully fan fiction, and I, it just like it makes me feel very unsettled. We'll find out. I'm going to look for it. Okay. I before we move off the lone gunman, Mulder goes there because he finds some dead bugs and he's just immediately like, "This must be something." 
And he takes the bugs to the lone gunmen. And I thought the lone gunmen were like hackers or something, but apparently they can also analyze bugs, which threw me a little bit. The lone gunmen are everything, you know, they're conspiracy theorists, they're hackers, you know, they're scientists, they, they also, yeah, I guess it is strange that they kind of dissect this bug, but they also tie it into a conspiracy theory that they know about, um, which, you know. Right, being that that there are cameras small enough to place on the back of a fly and those cameras are watching all of us. Which is probably true. Um, (laughs) But I imagine they have to know a significant amount in order to come up with or believe in and, like, publish these theories. Like, they're running a, a... you know, a journal, a magazine. I don't really know specifically what it is, but I'm sure they have followers and they have enough evidence that they can do so probably without being immediately arrested. Though they do seem to work in a bunker, so. That is what it seems like, yeah. They're just down in that bunker together. I believe that, you know, they're called the Lone Gunman because it's anonymous, uh, publication i don't know that their names are being printed in it (laughs) i see i see they're not they don't have like an author's uh spotlight yeah probably not just a little picture of each of them (laughs) (laughs) um but scully determines that there's like a chemical compound similar to lsd Mm -hmm. uh that's getting sprayed on these people and then uh, Mulder, of course, gets sprayed with it. Naturally. Because uh, he was out there doing some night spying. And Scully's like, well, you know, you're proof that this isn't what's causing uh, these people to do this. And, like, you know, within 0.2 seconds, Mulder sees a message on the TV and is, like, super calm about it. He's just like, hmm, okay, I get it now. And then kind of explains or, like, comes up with a theory that, you know, of subliminal messaging, but, like, doesn't tell anyone that he sees it and isn't angry or scared. (laughs) Well, the message that he sees on the TV isn't directed towards him. Um, Like, it says, do it, do it now. But then it cuts to, like, an exercise commercial and the woman's wearing a shirt that says, do it now. So I think that that wasn't mm, he I wasn't see. being affected by the compound. Um, he wasn't like scared of anything at the time. It was just like seeing that on the TV made him be like, "Oh, I bet other people are seeing subliminal messages." I see. You see, I read it differently, but I think I read it differently also because of how the episode ends. But we'll get to that. well so when i saw this i was like okay this episode is about to do a call back to Mulder's fear of fire and they're gonna put him near fire and then he's gonna see a subliminal message um but they don't choose to do that no uh no they do not that that fear is forgotten (laughs) 
in a lot of ways, it just really wasn't about Mulder in that way. It was more about him figuring out, you know, he thinks that the people in this town and this area are part of a controlled experiment. Um, and Scully's like, why? Like, for what? And he's like, fear, obviously. Because if he says, you know, if you're distracted by the fear of those around you, then you won't see what's going on above. And, you know, so they're turning the town against each other, all these people. Um, and so they're unable to recognize that something larger is happening to them, which is terrifying to think about. It and probably what's going on in our world most of the time. Yeah, via those chemtrails that they're releasing by planes. Well, I didn't really mean the chemtrails, but... Now that you bring them up. <laughs> oh, yeah, you meant it. I, I got what you were saying. I'm like, hide! <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, we figure out that the male guy who is the only person that we've seen resist the urge to kill. Like, everyone else that yeah. we've seen gets the message and just immediately kills people. But this male guy, I feel so bad for him because he's trying so hard throughout this whole episode not to kill anybody and to not give into it. Um, but we find out that he's afraid of blood. And then a stupid blood drive woman shows up to his door and won't leave him alone, is extremely pushy, won't stop ringing the doorbell. Yeah. It's really all her fault. I mean, it is. And it's interesting because it seems like he's resisting the urge because his fear is blood. And if he kills people, there's going to be fucking blood involved mm -hmm. in the situation. And so, you know, his only way to act on the impulse is to go up in this tower where he's all by himself and will not have to be in close proximity to the blood that will occur due to his murdering which you know is very smart of him so props it is smart of him until Mulder goes up there to stop him and says well now I either shoot you or you shoot me and either way there's going to be blood so you can't get away from it um, and it kind of works for a second but it, not really like it doesn't fully stop this guy no it's, like, it's a nice, like, uh, distraction tactic almost, you know. He's just stalling him. But it, it works enough that he's able to wrestle the gun away from him and saves the day. Thank goodness. I mean, Mulder's been through a lot in this episode, really. But I guess it's mostly because he's the only one actually on the case. Um, mm -hmm. Scully is not. <laughs> So thank no, God nothing's she's... happening to her because I'd be very upset if they got her involved and this isn't even her shit to deal with. But, um, yeah, the, the very end of the episode is Mulder kind of sitting there and he calls Scully and then he doesn't say anything. And he seems to be, you know, pretty unstable is how I, I read him in that moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, so he he calls Scully, and then he looks at his phone, and his phone says, all done, bye-bye. 
And then Scully's on the other line, like frantically yelling, Mulder, Mulder, where are you? What's happening? Where are you? And he just like, like doesn't okay? answer her. Yeah, and he just doesn't answer her. He just stares at her phone. And if he is afraid in this moment, and if the, he's seeing all done bye-bye on his phone because, I don't know, this chemical is interacting with his fears, which I guess it, it's not because it's not telling him to do anything. But maybe one of his fears is related to Scully and Scully, you know, Scully's fear, Scully being in afraid. Mm, interesting. Interesting theory. Yeah, I wonder what they're trying to play at in that moment because it would make sense to me for Mulder to have, you know, phobias and fears because he's, you know, a pretty weird dude and I don't think he's afraid of aliens, but there's got to be some sort of phobia of abduction based on trauma and you know they could be going that route they could be going something with scully and scully's fear or fear of losing scully i don't know maybe that's just me (laughs) projecting but (laughs) they could really i don't know exactly what what they're trying to play at and i would like more clarity yeah, I mean, because I think it's possible this doesn't have anything to do with his fears at all, and it's just, like, whatever this is, like, taunting him or him imagining it. But also, in, in listening to you, I thought maybe, like, the all-done bye-bye could reference a fear of, like, he's never going to get to do the X-Files work again, and, like, oh. that's finished. Um and he's just like he his career basically and what he's trying to figure out is over. Interesting. Well, I think if, you know, anyone has any any input, please let us know what you think Mulder's greatest fears are. Uh or if you have any I mean, new we already we already know. Yeah, we already know he's afraid of fire. Um and he's afraid of Phoebe. Right. <laughs> That is for sure. Well, next week we will be discussing season two, episode four, really flying through here, uh, which is described by Hulu as Mulder searches for a Vietnam vet who can project his consciousness into other people's minds. Whoa. Another X-File, not an X-File? I don't know. An X-File? I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I'm not going to trust whatever you tell me, even if you tried to tell me. I'm just going to start blatantly lying to you. Yeah. Next week. uh, Next week, I'll start. (laughs) (laughs) Well, computers, if you're out there, I've said it once and I'll say it again. Come take us over, because I'm ready for it. (laughs) 